Lean on me yeah. when you're not strong. And I'll stop there before I get sued. Good, good call. Yeah. <laughs> I think we had 10 seconds. So. <laughs> Plus, you might have been out of tune. So maybe the algorithm will miss that. Uh, screw you. <laughs> this is the AT Banter Podcast. A balanced and entertaining look at assistive technology, accessibility, and its importance in people's lives. Join Rob Minot, Ryan Fleury, and Steve Barclay as they banter with people around the world about anything and everything regarding assistive technology and the disability community. Now, on with the show. Hey, and welcome to another episode of AT Banter. Banter, banter. Hey, my name is Rob Minot, and uh, look who's here, uh, Mr. Ryan Flurry. That is me. Fancy meeting you here in the anti-gloom Zoom room. Yeah, well, it's just kind of becoming a regular, regular place <laughs> to hang out. So, yeah, over the past, uh, I don't even know. I've, I seriously lose track of how many years we've been doing this now. <laughs> just Crazy. over four and a half. It's all numbers to me, right? Like when I edit the show, it's all about like 216. 216. <laughs> and I, I suck at math, so I can't even actually do the math. But what is it, four years? Over four. Over four. I think it'll be like, won't it be like five? It'll be our five year anniversary, I think, in May, right? Yeah. Wow, that's crazy. Isn't it? Yeah. That's crazy. I know. I was looking at our, our guest today and, and realizing that we had had her on way back in like episode, I think it was like 46. Which even that was late in the game. Like, <laughs> you know, that's that's still like a year in. Yeah, yeah. And so I don't know. It's just it's surreal to me that we've been doing this for this long. I know it. It blows my mind that people are actually still listening. <laughs> Hope I think it could be. <laughs> <laughs> no, I get email every once in a while from listeners saying, "Hey, you know, thanks for the show. It was a great episode." So. Well, good. That's why we do it. Absolutely. Um, hey, so I'm excited about today's show. I have to say, you know, it's, uh, you know, we're talking about something that I think is, is extremely relevant these days. And it's something that we don't really cover all that often on the show. So, um, hey, Ryan. Yes, Rob. Why don't you tell people just who we are talking to and what we're talking about? Well, today we have invited back to the show, Megan Lawrence, who is a technology evangelist at Microsoft. But today's show is not about Microsoft necessarily or about assistive technology. We are talking about mental health. Yeah, you know, I've, I really feel like we've talked in the past on the show about how COVID has put us in this place where it's driven the football forward in terms of, um, you know, accessibility and like working from home and how that can sort of impact uh, inclusive hiring practices and, and that type of thing. Um, but I also think that COVID has really driven forward mental health issues. And I, I mean that in the sense that I, I think it has increased their visibility and it's hopefully removed a little bit of the stigma against it, especially in the workplace. But I think overall, a lot of the people that I talk to, you know, will say things like, yeah, like this is really, you know, COVID's really like triggered my anxiety or it's. Uh, or it's made my panic attacks a lot, a lot worse. Things like that. So I feel like it's it's 
it's making these conversations a little bit easier to have. You know, again, I, I like to put a little bit of a silver lining on this whole pandemic thing, because let's be honest, it sucks. Uh, and it's hard, you know, you sort of have to take the, the, the good where you can get it. And I do think that it's helping drive these conversations forward. And, you know, it, it is, I think, fostering much more of a, what's the word, a community because people do check in with each other be like, Hey, how are you doing? You know? And I think that, that pre COVID, you just wouldn't do that. You wouldn't call up a friend and just be like, Hey, like, how are you doing, you know, mentally with all this that's going on? Yeah. Hopefully this is something that continues, you know, after the pandemic as well. Yeah, absolutely. And it's definitely not easy for everybody. You know, I know my wife is, is an extrovert. She likes to be out and socializing with her friends and, and family and hanging out at the mall and, you know, just window shopping and stuff. And, you know, I'm quite the opposite. I'm quite content to sit at home and play guitar or browse the web or, you know, do whatever I do at home. I do miss hanging out with friends and, you know, going for lunches and stuff. But at the same time, the pandemic hasn't really affected me in the same way it has affected my wife. And, you know, being able to have an employer who has has made the adjustments and, and understands the importance of kind of a work-life balance, you know, especially now that we're doing all these online meetings and, you know, you know, kids and dogs and stuff coming into Zoom meetings and, you know, just being able to laugh that off. And it has definitely opened up, I think, our minds to what is possible due to the pandemic and hopefully going forward we're going to be able to appreciate what we've gone through and keep moving forward um there's all these mental i think like mental health issues that have come up just in this sort of shift of lifestyle that we've had and that's not to mention you know all the other stresses um that that we've just never had before yeah. that a lot of people are learning to deal with and especially people with underlying sort of mental health conditions already, like I couldn't imagine having an anxiety disorder during a pandemic, like that mm -hmm. must just be off the charts. And everybody's in a sort of a different situation, um, understandably, like, you know, certainly our listeners in, you know, the US, I mean, if I was down there, my anxiety would be off the charts. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. You know, here we have our own problems, you know, I, I get frustrated with, you know, the, the provincial government here and the messaging um, you know, I feel like a lot of it's mixed or I feel like, you know, they're not, you know, clamping down enough, you know, to give them a little credit. Yeah, we're we're all navigating this for the first time. And we don't, you know, we don't necessarily know what we're doing. But that, in a lot of people, that feeling just doesn't go away. Well, we've like, lost our, we've lost our sense of control. Most of us anyway, you know, my wife and I are doing curbside pickup for groceries. Very rarely are we actually going into the store unless there's something specific we need to get. You know, we've had dentist appointments in the last few months. And, you know, just see, seeing the dentist in a mask and a gown and a face shield and, you know, would drive up anxiety as well, right? Like it's nerve-wracking out there right now. You know, we, we have family members who are having some health issues that don't want to go get blood work done. They don't want to go get, you know, scans done because of what's going on with the pandemic in the hospitals. Um, it's it's a whole different world that we we are living in, and the mental health issues that people have or are now recognizing they have 
are just exponentially coming to the forefront. And so, yeah, I think we definitely need to talk more about this and hopefully the public will as well. Yeah, I agree because I, I think, and, and I don't think it will stop at COVID. I mean, I no. think that, like not to sound pessimistic, but it's just the way that, that it works is that a lot of people are going to be affected by this for the rest of their lives, you know, and yes, you know, in the grand scheme of things, and listen, I'm a, you know me, I'm an, op, I'm an optimist. So <laughs> I really do. I think that, you know, by the first half of next year, there'll be a vaccine out. COVID will be just a thing of the past. But I mean, that year and a half is going to still have a lasting effect on a lot of people. In, in fact, I might even argue everybody. Yeah. So, um, yeah, so I'm excited. I'm excited to be talking to Megan um, about this. And, um, you know, I'm sure we'll, we'll talk a little bit about about the business world and stuff and, and you know, the disability community. But um, I, we, I think we really do need to talk about this a little bit more on the show from time to time. All righty. Oh, hey, you know what we should talk about? Let's talk about the live show because since it's your idea. <laughs> yeah, so December 17th, 5 p.m. Pacific Standard Time. If you would like to be invited in to witness the train wreck, <laughs> then uh, just email us, cowbell at atbanter.com, and uh, we'll put you on a list, and we will send you an invite when they're about to go out. Absolutely. Uh, yeah, this will be exciting if not a disaster, so, or both. Well, and that will be our Christmas episode too, so it should be fun. So Thursday at five, yeah, so I'll be starting, I think we'll all be starting to drink. Yeah, then. probably. There will be there will be drinks involved, and uh, yeah, that'll just be some fun. We're yep. gonna have fun. Uh, looking forward to that. Because who knows, I don't know, if it goes well, maybe we'll, we'll do it again at some point. Uh, what do you mean? Maybe we'll do it again. We will well, do it again. Okay. <laughs> you, get, you get one victory and... <laughs> I'm not losing control. <laughs> oh, yeah, it's American Thanksgiving today. Right. Yes, it is. And for the first time ever, the Macy's Day Parade is going to be described by our friends at Descriptive Video Works. Mm-hmm, that's right. I don't think I've ever watched the Macy's thing. I, maybe I did when I was a kid. Maybe. I don't know. Yeah, I'm sure I have. But I was looking at Twitter yesterday, and I think somebody had said it was like a three-hour parade. It was like, holy cow. Like, how do you, you know, if, it, if a parade is three hours long, really? and what is that going to look like now? Like, are people going to be six feet apart? And is this parade going to be a six-hour parade? Or? <laughs> yeah, no, I think that's exactly it. All the balloons will be six feet apart. I mean... <laughs> You know, in this, see, this is what kind of annoys me about our generation a little bit. And I don't know what it was back, what it was like back with the Spanish flu hit. I don't, I have no idea, obviously. But, <laughs> uh, I just feel like people probably didn't whine as much. Like, do we need the Macy's Day Thanksgiving? Can we not live without that for a year? <laughs> That's, we, well, I don't know. In the U.S., Thanksgiving is a pretty big thing, I think. So that'd be like saying, can we get, can we get by with Christmas up without Santa Claus? Listen, honestly, <laughs> Santa Claus required me to like, you know, not socially distance. I would say, yeah, like, but I mean, even like Christmas, like, can can Christmas not just kind of be different this year? Like, is yeah. it really going to kill us to as a society to like just have to like change and adapt a little bit? 
like we're humans we're supposed to be able to adapt that yes we are survival skill and we seem to have lost that well we've become i think such a pampered entitled society right so because i don't know this i i mean i'd be curious to watch just to see how they yeah what they are doing differently mm -hmm. and how they are kind of making it safer and i get it you know you you know we're being a little flippant i think about this but you know this does play into what we were just talking about mental health and i suppose that you know trying to inject a little bit of normalcy is is what's going on yes. here like, you know if we can you know at least try to pretend that you know some things we can still have it helps alleviate all the stresses of you know otherwise so i get that i understand that but i don't know i don't know if the macy's thanksgiving day parade is really the thing that is really the hill we want to die on in terms of covid i don't know but then again i i mean i do like parades but a three-hour parade i would have to really like a, a parade <laughs> three hours is a long time that's a lot of like fire trucks and like vans that are yeah rated with christmas lights like i i don't know like you've seen you see three or four and then it's like okay well let's pack up the kids and go home now we, <laughs> we saw the big spider-man balloon and a couple fire trucks we can go home hi everyone this is steve from canadian assistive technologies and this is a shameless plug we've been working hard to find less expensive braille products so we can make braille available for more people we can now say that we have Canada's most comprehensive lineup of inexpensive Braille solutions, including the 20-cell Braille Me from InnoVision, the soon-to-be-released 40-cell Orbit Braille display from Orbit Research, as well as the world's least expensive multi-line Braille reader, the Canute from Bristol Braille. You can have a look at them all on our website at www.canastech.com. Joining us now is Megan Lawrence, who is the Senior Accessibility Evangelist for Microsoft and the co-chair of the People with Mental Health Conditions Discussion Group within the Disability Employee Resource Group at Microsoft. Hi, how are you? I'm great. Can you guys hear me? Yeah. I am Ryan, as usual. And again, joining us is Rob. Hello. Hi, Rob. And Hello. Megan, welcome back to the show. Oh, thank you so much for having me. You're like a regular now. Yeah, sorry, every 200 episodes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. Actually, that'd be funny if I actually were the guest at every 100, every 200 shows. It's like Megan's back. That's right. <laughs> uh, we'll, we'll, we'll plan that. <laughs> yeah, I'm not, I'm not a good idea. This is good. Uh, well, hey, well, hey, listen, thanks. Uh, thanks for coming back. <laughs> we're, we're not used to that. <laughs> people just, weird people one-shot us so. <laughs> oh i i really i really appreciate you guys inviting me and and really beginning to think about the topic of mental health especially given the year that we've had and the holidays uh approaching we know that this is um you know top of mind for so many people well and when you mentioned this topic i kind of almost fell over backwards because it's it's a topic we've touched on over the years, but never really dived deep into. And what a better time to deal with a subject like mental health. Like you mentioned, the current pandemic we're all facing. Rob and I were just talking before you joined us about how, you know, I've seen some family 
and, and friends who have adjusted their way of life, maybe to an extreme, and how are we going to unlearn this new learned behavior? Um, it's going to be really interesting to see how we come out of this. Yeah, I agree. It's kind of, it's interesting that you should say that because I think that, you know, many people were frankly unprepared Yeah. or how, um, you know, potentially difficult it was going to be both emotionally and how that would impact people's mental health. Um, but then, you know, many of us have adjusted uh, our lives and our, you know, behaviors and even our, I would call it mental health hygiene, right? Like how, how are we planning our days so that we're taking care of ourselves? Um, and that will probably be just in time when we go back into a hybrid or in-person work environment. So um, we recognize that the, uh, the importance of this topic is, is, it has, it has years to come, right? Since COVID, you know, we've sort of been discussing here on the show the, the different types of, of impact that it's had on people's work lives, you know, what it's, what it's had on corporate, the corporate world. And there, there is a little bit of a silver lining when it comes to, say, something like assistive technology and, for, and work from home policies, because a lot of people with disabilities in the workforce maybe have a little bit more of a stronger footing with companies sort of embracing things like work from home and being more open to the idea of assistive technology and inclusion. Do you see that conversation sort of being extended out to include mental health now as well? Are more companies more comfortable talking about mental health issues with their employees since COVID? So first of all, I do, you know, want to comment on the fact that, you know, the disability community for a very long time has been asking for more flexible work schedules. Um, and so I'm, I'm really happy to see that we as a society have shown that working from home can be incredibly productive. And so if that works well for you um, as a person with a disability, um, I, I think we've finally gotten to the place where, uh, you know, as a, a, a global society and certainly as, you know, large corporations and organizations that, that that's a real option now. One, that I'm so proud and happy yeah. to see us finally gotten there. Um, and then I think that the idea of mental health and well-being being a topic uh, that many companies are now addressing is absolutely true. Um, there was a really interesting piece of research that came out from Microsoft, and it was it's called you know the new manager one-on-one -on -one, nurturing a resilient employee. It, you forgive me if it's not exactly the title, but what it actually <laughs> showed, which I thought was really really interesting, was was the more time that you have a regular one-on-one -on -one with a manager, two really interesting things happened. One, your overall work hours went down um, because you felt like you had that priority. You knew what you needed to get after, right? And then the second thing was, is that well-being was really central to the conversation. So people were checking in on one another. They were asking with, you know, authenticity, how are you? Um, and that a range of responses was absolutely appropriate. Everything from, man, I'm doing really well. I love working from home to this is really challenging uh, for me to, again, find the right balance between, uh, you know, work-life balance and self-care um, and mental health, specifically mental health conditions is now a topic that people are not considering inappropriate for the workplace. One, I do find it really interesting because I do feel like not long ago, like maybe five years ago, you know, the, the, the work environment was 
a very different, very different landscape. It, it seems like people are so much more open and patient and accommodating these days than ever it ever has been before. I don't know, maybe that's just me and my own personal experiences in the workplace. What, what are you seeing? Yeah, I, I definitely see similar trends. Um, interestingly enough, if we just, let's just look at the technology landscape for a minute. In the last five years, there has been an explosion of uh, technology specifically looking at mental health. Everything from an application to help you meditate or to plan your day to how you connect with a therapist now through telehealth medicine um, and, and even into you know, other areas uh, of mental health and, and you know, professional assistance. And then I think that showed the way to the fact that mental health conditions is part of the disability spectrum. And in fact, this was just a normal part of being human. I read a really interesting article that showed it is more likely that people will experience a mental health condition at some point in their life than it is not. Um, and so I think being realistic about how emotions make us intelligent, they, they're part of being diverse, um, and that speaking about mental health in the workplace is, is something that we just see more regularly. So yeah, I see it in technology and I, and I see it in the conversations. So do you think that the, the conversations have sort of come out of us just knowing more about mental health these days, or is it because some of that stigma is beginning to go away and people are, are beginning to, to not be afraid to talk about it? I mean, it's a good question and I think it's a hard question. Um, one, I think the best way to reduce that bias uh, and stigma is through storytelling. I see a lot more articles, a lot more you know, public conversation uh, about mental health. We see more people telling their own personal stories. So all of a sudden we're, we're sort of bubbling up and making it more seen. Um, but then at the same time, I also think that you know, within organizations. Uh, so for example, Jenna Mira and I started the mental health um, employee group here at Microsoft because we recognized that there was a growing need for a strong community around it. And so the more that we built the community, the more the stories were being told and the more I think mainstream it became. Um, but on the other hand, I, th I think we still have a ways to go. You mentioned on Access Chat interview you did with a group over there, I think that I think the statement was my disability is not my personality. Um, what are some types of things people can do to either A identify that, you know, I'm not doing well and you know, I, I need some help, or that, you know, a manager or you know, your your boss of the company can do to look for signs that something may just not be going right. You might be having a bad day. Yeah, so I always want to caution people that, you know, most of us are not mental health professionals. Right. And so diagnosing somebody based on behavior is really not what we're looking for, right? right? Um, but I do think that it is appropriate if you see somebody who may be acting unlike themselves to say, hey, is there something that I can do to support you? And I say that intentionally because you're not saying, are you okay? Somehow putting the responsibility of that emotional response or the mental health condition on the individual, 
but instead recognizing the opportunity of building these cultures of inclusion in which we have enough psychological safety to ask the question and then for somebody to say, yes, I could use some support. Um, and so I think that's the critical component there is how, you know, the question to me is how are we building psychological safety into our organizations where people can ask the question and respond with a real authentic answer? So it's sort of to build on that idea of like, you're, you're, I guess what you're almost sort of talking about is kind of like a, a almost like a corporate safe space for employees to be able to connect with and to feel like they can communicate any, any sort of you know, support issues that they might have with each other. Are you seeing these types of things happening in the, in the corporate world? Or, or you know, for that matter, maybe you could even speak to, to what Microsoft is doing. Yeah, absolutely. So I will say, um, you know, I, there are many things that I have learned about inclusion um, during the global pandemic. And I, I, I break it down to my three C's, which is, you know, people want to belong to something bigger than themselves and community is more important than ever. And so we've seen a real growth in the mental health community here at Microsoft and a strong support system emerge. We quite literally uh, meet every single week, whether that's 100 people that come or 10 people that come. We want to have that open door policy where people know they can get the support, um, that they can seem, be seen when they feel invisible because sometimes you just feel... Uh, like you, especially working from home, you, you lack that connection, right? Um, and the interesting thing is that technology is playing a more, you know, important role than ever in that connection. Uh, how are you, uh, you know, making sure that you feel connected with colleagues, that you are getting questions answered, and frankly, that you're just talking and chatting and having fun? Um, and so that's my third C is communication, which is I actually see technology playing an important role in helping people communicate no matter what their style is, whether that's, I don't have the words to tell you how I feel, but I'm going to use an emoji today, <laughs> right? Um, and to me, I think that's really powerful when we allow people to communicate in a variety of different ways, camera on, camera off, emojis, uh, you name it, right? Yeah, I'm just trying to think of what my Monday emoji would, would look like. <laughs> a pillow and a blanket. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I don't know. It's something that would still have to be created. I don't think I've seen the, the quite the right <laughs> It really reflects my attitude on Monday. And it's like half sleepy eyes. It's like, I'm here, but I'm ramping up. That's right. I'm ramping up. The wheels are turning, just not real fast. That's right. So Megan, you, uh, you'd also posted on Twitter. Um, I, I forget what the statement was that you had put, but I had reached back out to you asking if you would share a little bit about your tweet and your story. Can you tell us a little bit about your own experiences or situation? Yeah, absolutely. So um, I've worked with the disability community for over 15 years. And to be honest with you, I never spoke about my own mental health disability. Um, and it wasn't until I came to Microsoft and, and found a group of uh, people that were, uh, you know, open about their mental health uh, conditions and were supporting one another and, and providing this place in which I actually found my own voice. Um, and I began to see my own disability identity start to, to emerge. 
Um, and so, you know, that was a critical point for me in which I personally began to stop seeing at my anxiety disorder as something to hide because it may somehow, you know, impact my career. Um, as something to be embarrassed about because, you know, ever since I was a child, I was always told, you know, that's not appropriate behavior. Um, and so, I, you know, that was a real turning point for me in recognizing that, in fact, my disability is part of who I am. It's part of what makes me strong um, and that it's the support of the community around uh, us that really creates the difference. And so that's when we created the mental health community because I really wanted other people to have that experience and that support structure if, if they needed it. And then um, true to my title, I became a real evangelist. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I really began to speak so much more openly about it because I want people to, to you know, this is the, one of the, the number one disability in the world is mental health. It is invisible. You cannot tell by simply looking at me um, that I have fibromyalgia and a mental health condition. Um, I am capable of being a leader, um, and I am also at the same time can hold the fact that sometimes I have hard days. Uh, both of those things can be true. I can be a leader and I might take some time off for some self-care. Well, you know, it, it's interesting too, because, you know, you think about how, how much time we spend at work and how much of that we, we really do incorporate that into our own identity. And so you know, when you're when you're suffering from things like that and you you have to suppress it or you have to you feel like you have to hide it because there's stigma around it and you can't actually be your sort of authentic self or get the support that you may need on bad days, that that can really impact not only your overall emotional well-being, um, but it can really impact your work performance, too. So I, I, I don't know. I think that th this is a, a really a positive step just as much as, as any other sort of inclusion in the workplace to be able, and I think that there's a, a total business case for businesses to embrace this too, because you know, when, you, when you sort of foster a, a positive emotional and mental workspace, your workers are, are gonna be happier and they're gonna, they're gonna be more productive. And overall workplace issues are, are gonna go down. Yeah, interesting. Uh, so covering, right? I we talk a lot about uh, in in allyship, you know, the way that we people may cover, and covering my mental health condition is exhausting. It's exhausting. <laughs> so you're absolutely right. When you spend so much energy trying to match other people's emotional um, states, when you, you know, oh, I don't want to talk too loud. I don't want to talk too soft. You just, it's this very interesting, like always monitoring the environment and trying to match it. That was my experience with covering. Um, and so I think that once you have a sense of openness, it allows you to have more freedom to be creative. That's what I have found. I'm a more creative person now that people know who I am and that that is an, an appropriate way to be in the world. You know, when it comes to a business case, I'm glad that, that you brought that up because um, we at Microsoft did some really interesting research into this Generation Z. So these are, uh, you know, uh, people that are just now graduating from college all the way kind of down, right? So um, we said, okay, so what's important, uh, you know, in an employer for you? And there were two things that came up. 
One of them was mindset, not skill set, right? Mm. That I may not have had the specific experience, but I have the, you know, that growth mindset to, to begin to grow into any kind of, of role. And the second one was mental health that they expect companies to not only have strong mental health programs, but that managers have the emotional intelligence to talk about mental health within their teams and to manage the emotions of teams. And I thought that was really interesting. Wow, yeah, yeah, absolutely, it is. Do you think that COVID has played into that at all? COVID has played a very interesting and significant role um, in mental health, and, and this is global. Um, but I want to share a few statistics that are specific to the United States. So forgive your global audience. Uh, forgive me. Um, but the Center for Disease Control does a, what they call a household pulse. I um, mean, they ask about mental health. And so in January 2019, 8% uh, of the American population reported having um, symptoms of generalized anxiety disorder. Um, last month, about 36.5% of the American population reported having symptoms of anxiety. Wow. So we've seen an absolutely sharp, sharp increase in uh, mental health symptoms, um, as well as diagnosed mental health conditions. And so, you know, that is in response to what I call just the pressure in the system. Um, and it comes in many forms, whether it's the, the global pandemic, which certainly all of us are dealing with, um, and, and other types of social issues like the justice reform movement here in the United States. And so um, I think that in some senses it has uh, put mental health um, in the limelight in terms of what does this mean for global society as we see these sharp increases. Well, and I'd be willing to bet, too, that that 36% is low. Um, I think so, too. Yeah, <laughs> I would be, agree with you. Yeah, I would almost double that number, to be honest. But, you know, at Microsoft, you said you, know, said you mentioned you guys meet once a week. What are some of the, I guess, coping strategies or tools or techniques that you could share with our listeners to maybe help ease their anxiety or just get through a day? Yeah, I mean, I think this really comes down to work-life balance. So absolutely true story, you know, two or three months after the pandemic had started, I wandered downstairs like 12 hours, you know, after starting work, I no shower, pajamas, you know, <laughs> hadn't eaten anything substantial all day. And, you know, my husband, you know, very lovingly looked at me and said, hey, your, your anxiety is really high. Like, you know, I, I think we need to talk about, you know, your work-life balance and, I started to cry and I said, yeah, but if I don't seem like I'm always working, I'm going to be the first person to be let go. And I had gotten really confused between that concept of looking like you're always working versus getting really targeted about providing, uh, you know, having good impact and doing good work. And, and I think that that is my number one tip, which is creating boundaries it is so easy to just let work kind of seep into your entire life. Uh, easy to just kind of check that email while everyone else is watching a movie or sort of watch <laughs> chats while we're on vacation, right? Yeah. Um, and so my number, you know, one of the things I, I talk about a lot is, you know, you have to be intentional about unplugging and disconnecting. 
um, because you have to unplug in order to recharge and you got to recharge to be a rest. Well, and it's funny you say that because I have my work email coming to my personal cell phone. So like you said, I could be sitting on the couch listening to a program with my wife and bing, I check my email. And if it's a customer after hours, I usually reply to them. You know, it's like, well, wait a second. How many, how often have I recently thought about removing that work email account and checking it during my working hours? You know, I think about it weekly and I just haven't done it yet. So, you know, boundaries, like you say, would be very important. Yeah. So this is my, my number one tip today, which is turn off notifications. I promise you <laughs> <laughs> but no, but it's, but I, I think that it's, it's absolutely true. Um, and that is one of the, the downsides of working from home, I find, is that when you don't necessarily have that real strong geographical boundary between work and home, it can really have an impact. Even if you're, say, not checking your email, you know, when, you're, when your work environment and your home environment is the same place, that even just that alone can be really challenging. Yeah, I agree. That's another tip that I think can be really important for people is if you can, and I'm thoughtful about that, really creating a workspace, which is when I enter into this physical space, I'm working. Mm -hmm. And when I exit this physical space, I'm now at home. Um, I know that's easier said than done as many of us live in small, small spaces. Um, but I do think that, that that's another way to sort of signal, you know, to yourself and to the others that you may live with that, you know, you're, you're either on at work or, or you're off. Um, and I will say the other thing for me is I have two dogs and they keep me real honest about when they <laughs> believe the work is over. <laughs> Has have you or Microsoft or are there any resources you know of that kind of have a, you know, top ten checklist of things to not do? No, it's a good question. Which is how do how do we provide ourselves with the tools that are going to help us be successful, right? Um, and so I have kind of a two part answer to that. And um, one of them is there's some just really really good um, NGOs out there. So for example, again, I'm going to apologize for the American reference, um, but Mental Health America um, has an incredible set of resources, everything from, you know, being able to, to have a mental health screening um, to better understanding why we see increases uh, in, in mental health conditions uh, here, as well as, as tools to help. So look back into, you know, the community resources that, that exist in, in the NGO space. That's sort of the, my first, right? I'm not, I'm not a mental health professional, mm -hmm. um, but there are some really brilliant, um, you know, NGOs that, that specifically work in the space. And then I think for me, the second one is actually technology. I, I, let's be honest, technology plays a dual role. Like on one hand, if we're always connected uh, and it's just constantly in our lives, it can increase mental health symptoms. Um, but I think if they can also act as apps for for wellness advocates, right? Um, and so those, you know, some of the things that I tell people is, you know, create those boundaries. Make sure you have scheduled breaks um, on on your calendar because you do have to stand up and drink water, and you know, mm -hmm. uh, make sure that you're moving your body and and getting the right nutrition that's right for you. Um, you know, being able to set a schedule where 
you might even put a little notification that says, you know, I'm off work for the rest of tonight. I'll see you in the morning to signal to people. Um, as well as the delayed message. This is like my favorite. So now in my analytics, which is um, a really, really cool tool at Microsoft, which kind of helps you understand your behavior. You literally get a purple square for every time you do not go back to work after hours. So you can actually keep yourself pretty darn honest about how well you're doing to, to, to disconnect. Um, and then you can send a delay message notice. So for example, if you love to email at midnight, cause that's when you just finally have the, the headspace to do it, great. But all of your messages will hit people's inboxes the next morning. Um, so it's not only about what you do, but it's also about how you create that emotional inclusion among your team. Um, you, if you have an ERG, uh, you know, I highly encourage people to, to join, um, you know, the disability or mental health ERG, cause they tend to be really great places to help you find resources. And if you haven't, uh, dug into what your organization's benefits are, mm -hmm. go get curious. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I want to, I would, I want to talk about because I do find this fascinating um, is this idea of Zoom fatigue. So <laughs> I know that, you know, like when I was a kid, I remember being so excited about the idea of video chatting. Like that was like the big sci-fi concept, right? Like, ooh, one day, one day we're going to be able to like call each other and you'll actually be able to see each other and have like a video chat. And it was a really, it was like a, a heady futuristic concept. So fast forward, now we're here and we hate the thing. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. We got Meet and Teams and Zoom and Hangouts and. <laughs> I know, right? you know, seriously, though, it, it, there it, it is kind of a thing, like this the connecting in a way that is, it's better than just being on the phone. Mm -hmm. But there's still something artificial about it that really psychologically, I think, is draining. Like, has there been any sort of studies on this? Like, why is that? What what is all this about? Yeah, meeting fatigue is real. Um, and so, you know, what we're beginning to see from research is that it, it literally is, takes more cognition um, to connect with people in a two-dimensional world than it is in a three-dimensional world. Um, and so, you know, I think that's part of why I often talk about the camera um, so for me, I always want the camera on because I want to see your nonverbal communication. I want that check that you're paying attention to what I'm saying. Um, but then at the same time, it can become very, very tiring because as I said, it can be very hard uh, on our uh, on our brains to to constantly try to connect, you know, in a in a world in which we aren't experiencing real, mm -hmm. um, you know, connection with with one another. Um, so I often tell people, I will always have my camera on <laughs> and I encourage you to do the same. Um, but if you don't want to, you know, obviously just let me know. And so that comes back to that communication piece, right? Um, which is telling people what you need, what your preferences are and learning for yourself. Like how many hours of meetings are appropriate for me before I just become emotionally exhausted and start blocking time for focus. And that's another one of my huge tips is I have, I try anyways, to have at least two or three hours in my day that are blocked for me with no meetings. Cause I need the time to think and get the work done that I want to in order to actually disconnect after hours. 
Um, so it's very real. Meaning fatigue is very real. And I wish there was a magical answer, except for the magic answer is self-advocacy. <laughs> <laughs> right. We need these companies, you know, Microsoft, Google, Zoom to have like every, I don't know, 25 minutes, a picture of a unicorn and puppies pop up on your screen or something, give you an emotional break before you jump back in. Well, actually, it's funny you should say that because in Teams, there's this really cool new feature called um, Together Mode, right. in which it literally looks like we're all sitting in seats. And so right. that has actually shown that it the little square pictures are more fatiguing than if it looks like we're just sitting in an audience together. Interesting. Isn't it? Huh. But I'm, I, can I just second puppies? Absolutely. Anytime we include puppies, I, yes. The <laughs> That's right. We need more puppies in these meetings. <laughs> yes. Check. Yeah. Well, actually, you know, I'm sure that technology is a great thing. I'm sure there are active live webcams right now. <laughs> SBCA somewhere that's just streaming some sort of a, a puppy cam. Probably. Okay. So do you want to know, that's funny you should say that because the New York Zoo, the panda just had a baby panda. Mm -hmm. And you can go and watch the baby panda do baby panda things and it's incredibly relaxing. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. That's funny. So do you have any thoughts, Megan, about like, so where do you, like once COVID is over and it will be over one day, are we going to be left in a, a better space than we were pre-COVID because of a lot of these things? Do you think, do you sort of see some sort of a hybrid that eventually will happen where we, we're actually going to be in a really sort of good space in terms of wellness, inclusion, all those things? So one of the silver linings of COVID, in my opinion, is that we have, in my opinion, begun to have more conversations about the whole person, right? Like I'm as as a Microsoft employee, it's not like I just work on my projects and then I don't bring emotions and well-being and physical health to to the table. I do. Um, and so to me, that's that's positive that we're beginning to see people as this whole system. Um, it's not just the work that you do. Um, it's it's the way in, in which you take care of yourself and those around you. And so I believe um, that that's a really positive thing coming out of COVID. And I will um, openly say that that is something that I hope that we keep. Um, I hope that we keep the conversation about mental health open, um, that we begin to see humans as, you know, their nested identities. I'm a Microsoft employee. I'm a dog mom. I'm a wife. I'm a, you know, uh, you know, an avid, um, uh, you know, Netflix watcher. I'm going to just admit that to all of you, <laughs> right? Like we're, we're made up of all of these different components. And, and to me, that that's what diversity really is. It's the diversity within ourselves. And so um, I think that that is going to be a very positive thing coming out of COVID. I also predict, and that's always a little um, terrifying to make a prediction like this, but I do believe that now there's going to be a lot more flexibility in, in the workplace, right? Uh, we see many policies starting to come out from companies that are saying, what works best for you? Is it working from home? Is it coming into the office? Is it a little bit of both? Um, and so I really love that evolution from, you know, you must have, uh, you know, you must be in your seat at 8 a.m. in an office to, I don't know, let's figure out how you can be most productive as an individual. 
Yeah, and I know I think that's one of the tough things my wife has faced because we both work from home and she really misses that social interaction with her colleagues. I'm more introverted and leave me alone in my basement. I'm fine. I might meet you for lunch, but other than that, I'm, I'm good. Um, so yeah, having having a model where work times, places, whatever can be adjusted and your needs can be accommodated would be well, would would be beneficial to to both parties and and probably make an employee more productive. Oh, I think so. A- absolutely. So I'm I'm hopeful to be honest yeah. with you. I I actually think that um while the global pandemic has been an incredible challenge and you know, my my thoughts and prayers go out to all of those families who've lost people during mm-hmm. this time. Um I don't, you know, I personally know uh some of our family members have now been went positively um diagnosed with COVID, it's not easy. Um, But I do believe that there are certain aspects of, um, you know, communities coming together and staying connected during difficult times and workplaces becoming more flexible that I think are a positive change in society. Agreed. Well, you know, and that's what you, that's what you have, how you have to approach life is that, you know, really terrible things happen and you have to make the best of them and hope that going forward, you know, there's, there is some positive benefits to what we've all just gone through. So yeah, I would, I would echo that. And it's a, that's a great place to end on unicorns and (laughs) And pandas. Don't forget pandas, pandas, baby pandas. (laughs) Uh Well, Megan, thanks so much for joining us again. Oh, my God, my pleasure. Well, clearly, this is one of my favorite topics to talk about. Um, and, I, and I really do want to thank you for, for opening the conversation. And to be honest with you, you know, the intersectionality is an incredibly important topic to talk about as well, is that, you know, many people have multiple disabilities, like I have fibromyalgia, which is more of a, of a chronic pain disease, a muscular disease, um, right. as well as a mental health condition. And so many people, you know, who are listening to this podcast may also feel similarly that, that they've got several uh, disabilities, um, as well as thinking about our BIPOC communities and and mental health within our, you know, our Black and, and Native American communities as well and what that means. And so I think one of the things that makes me incredibly proud to work at Microsoft is that, you know, we are um, really leaning in and saying, we might not have all of the answers, but we're going to start to examine how we begin to build a company-wide strategy that not only embraces mental health and well-being, um, but begins to create an environment in which people can be open about the conversation. Um, So one last thing that I'll say, which was really interesting at the beginning, in the end of October, we had a really interesting workshop that looked at mental health, societal bias in the black communities um, and recognizing that we have a a disability data desert. And so as AI uh, increasingly is used to, in all honesty, reduce barriers for so many people in the disability community, we have to create culturally competent technology. And that has to be done through thoughtfulness and absolutely in collaboration with our communities. so maybe next time we'll we'll go deeper into what it really means to create culturally competent uh, technology with the disability community. 
I, I, I hate to break it to you, but you might have to come on before 200 episodes. Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, way before. <laughs> okay, cool. I'll break my streak. I'm in. All right. Excellent. All right, ma'am. Well, listen, thanks again so much for joining us. And uh, let's talk again soon. Okay, that sounds great. You guys have a really, really brilliant afternoon uh, and the rest of your week. And um, we will I, we will definitely be talking soon. Sounds good. Sounds man. good. Thanks, right. Megan, so okay. much. Thank Take care. So much. Bye-bye. Right. Bye-bye. Wow. Yeah. Wow. I am so glad we had Megan on. That was so cool. Yeah. You know, it's so easy now that a lot of us are either learning from home or working from home to check out, right? Turn the TV on or whatever, just wander around your house and go make lunch and having the ability to check in with somebody, having the ability to kind of separate um, you know, your work and your home space, if possible for, for people, it's, it's so beneficial. You know, we've heard stories over and over and over for many, many years about how important it is to have that separation, but also to have that socialization. Um, you know, she talked about zoom fatigue or meeting fatigue, you know, I think she was saying, Zoom or, or Teams is open, you know, six, eight hours a day. And it is for most of us now. You know, how do you, how do you deal with that? And, and then deal with your kids running around the house that are supposed to be learning. You're, you're, yeah. it's, it's just so, so complex right now. Yeah, one well, to even open it up beyond that um, and to talk a little bit about just, just say work environment in general, even post-COVID, pre-COVID, you know, work is can be a really stressful environment. And I feel like in the past, it was just something that you just sucked it up. Like if you had to deal with with a toxic workplace environment because of a coworker or a boss or whatever, that's just that you just suck it up. You know, everybody else has to just suck it up and everybody hates their job anyways. And, you know, that's if you don't like it, quit, go find a different job. And that was generally the the attitude. And so it's really nice to see companies that are realizing that that's not, not only is that not a healthy workplace environment, but it, it doesn't make any business sense either because you just, you, you bleed out employees or you have these toxic work environments that nobody's happy in and nobody's, nobody's productivity is where it could be at. So, it, you know, and it just makes sense to, to sort of plug some, some resources in and give give employees a safe space to to vent or to talk about different stresses or and you know it's not necessarily all necessarily all connected to coworkers sometimes you just you know people have stuff going on in their personal life that bleeds into their work environment and if they don't have anywhere to go or talk to or vent about that um, it can be a real issue and it and it you know and those those natural workplace stressors can can just you know be piled on to the personal stressors and that's why people have nervous breakdowns that's why people have to have like mental health days and you know sanity days as we used to call them right no and i think it's it's pretty neat to see you know, do th through the pandemic how employers have been able to pivot you know we've talked in the past about employability numbers and people with disabilities and how hard it is for people with disabilities to get a job, um, you know, convince an employer they can do the job. 
some people with disabilities have mobility issues and can't get into a workplace environment. And so now that employers have been able to make that pivot and send people out to work from home remotely, um, I'm actually thinking that we're going to see those employment numbers with persons with disabilities actually going up. Um, You know, in the past, it's always, and I guess it's still the same today, you know, persons with disabilities, if they get a job, they're going to work their butts off to keep that job because they know how hard it is to get that job in the first place. And so now being able to work from home, if possible, is going to be so advantageous for so many people. And, And like you mentioned, employers, you know, paying attention now to mental health issues, anxiety issues, bipolar, whatever the situation is, is is only going to be advantageous to us in the long run. Yeah, I agree. But I also agree that I think that this this mental health component, I think really needs to be a part of all that. Because you're absolutely right. That is really good. But there's a there's a darker side to that in the sense that you know, you also would feel very isolated, or you may feel disconnected from the rest of the team, or you may feel like, you know, there's all these other different um, downsides to say something like, you know, working from home all the time. So, you know, I think that there's got to be a a balance there. But um, so I I really think, though, that even like, again, post COVID, I really feel like this is something that needs to continue to be addressed. And I really hope that on top of the idea of inclusive hiring practices, that this idea of mental health in the workplace really gets some traction. Because honestly, we spend so much of our time at work. It, it, it really needs to be a part of it. Agreed. We will definitely have more episodes going forward on mental health. Yeah, let's do that. Let's, uh, let's make sure that that happens, Mr. Scheduler. Alrighty then. Hey, Ryan. Rob. Where can people find us? People can find us online at atbanter.com. They can also drop us an email if they so desire. If they want to say, hey, I like the show. They want to suggest a topic. They want to suggest a guest. Or you want an invite to that live show that's on December 17th at 5 p.m. Pacific Standard Time. Send us an email. Cowbell. At atbanter.com. They can also find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Yes, they can. You know what I realized? We didn't even mention the fact that Steve wasn't here. We didn't even... Steve who? Yeah, exactly. (laughs) (laughs) We love you, Steve. (laughs) He doesn't listen to our show. (laughs) Uh, Steve isn't here, incidentally. (laughs) (laughs) 54 minutes in and... (laughs) <laughs> you know, just addressing the fact that Steve is in here. That's right. Um, big thanks to Megan Lawrence for joining us once again. Very good to talk to her. And thanks, everybody, for listening in. And we will see everybody next week. This podcast has been brought to you by Canadian Assistive Technology, providing low vision and blindness solutions across Canada. Find us online at www.canastech.com. That's C-A-N-A-S-S-T-E-C-H dot com. Or call us toll free at 1-844-795-8324. 
For all your assistive technology servicing needs, call Chaos Technical Services at 778-847-6840 or find them online at chaostechnicalservices.com. 